Don't you love an extra $100 in your pocket? Have a TurboTax expert file your taxes for you by March 31st to get $100 back instantly. Because no matter what moves you made last year, TurboTax makes them count. That means getting $100 back and 100% accurate taxes only from Intuit TurboTax. Must file by 331. Credit only applicable to federal filing fees with TurboTax full service. Offer can be modified or terminated at any time. Hey, I'm Zach, and one day I'm going to make movies, but right now I'm young, dumb, and not nearly as good-looking as my co-hosts. So with the help of... I'm Matthew. I'm Rodrigo. I'm Steven. I'm going to learn what makes a movie great by watching all the classics I have skipped over. So pop the corn and turn your cell phone to silent, because it's time for a new episode of Zach on Film. We take a ride in another Martin Scorsese picture starring Robert De Niro... As we're talking to you about the 1976 Taxi Driver this week for Zach on Film. Hey, Zach. Hey, Steven. Giving you some uh, pretty intense action this week. Yeah, man, this is with uh, a taxi driver. kind of a mind trip. Yeah, you think? A little bit. I mean, it's, uh, it's all over on the emotional scale. So, for those people who have never seen Taxi Driver before, give us a rundown. Uh, so taxi driver, is, his main character, his name is Trevor, and he uh, is a war vet, and he is now living in New York City, and he becomes a taxi driver. Travis. Yeah, Travis. What did I say, yeah, Trevor? Travis. Yeah. Oh, okay. Travis. Travis. Bickle. There you go. Just T word. Why is it? Why is he a taxi driver? Uh, cause he's just up all night to get lucky. Daft Punk song. Bam. <laughs> Reference. <laughs> um. Okay. <laughs> yep. Um, so he's up all night, and uh, he just wants to get around town, make some money. I don't know if it's get if it's make he's money. He's going to be up all night anyway. He says. So. Yeah, right. he's going to be up all night anyway. It, I don't. It's, I, you he know, says it's, it's he's a, up anyway. He might as well get paid. Yeah, and and I don't think. I mean, it's pretty clear that this is his only job. Being the taxi driver sure. is his yeah, only job. That's it. And um, I don't know that he's got some real problems. Yes, he does. What are the problems that that that, uh, that um, pop up with poor poor Travis? Well, I don't think it is ever explicitly say, says it, but uh, there certainly seems to be some uh, post traumatic stress disorder uh, going through Travis, which leads to um, I think to some forms of depression and social anxiety, and mm-hmm. and then ends up manis- manifesting in. Uh, outbursts of really some dark anger. You know, even I mean, at yeah. the very end, but even in the middle throughout, kind of. You know, we would have years ago, uh, well, today, I mean, we look at something like what's what's going on with Travis, and we would have said, yes, that is uh, PTSD. That's post-traumatic stress syndrome. He's exhibiting all of these things. But I don't think people really recognize that until, I mean, it was around, you call it the shell shock, after yeah. World War II. Yeah. Um, yeah. But, you know, it wasn't or until... Battle like the, fatigue. Yeah, battle yeah. fatigue. Maybe mid-80s is where it really started to gain popularity. So, you know, for a movie like this to kind of hint at the fact that Travis didn't deal well or wasn't able to cope with the things that happened in Vietnam, mm-hmm. uh, shape him. And then, of course, I don't know, uh, he is racially motivated. Yeah. He is... Um, you know, gender 
uh, oriented as far as where he believes people's place should be, um, you know, gender equality. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, what else? Racist, sexist. He's, I don't know that he's racist so much as he doesn't trust anyone and the people that he trusts the least are the people that are different. There are a couple of points in the movie where he reacts poorly to people who are of different races who are also clearly acting, you know, crazy and or yeah, in you sure. know intentionally over the top. You know, I think at one point he but does he say, had, I mean, you know, at one point he does rattle off a bunch of racial slurs and says, "I got no problem with those people." Yeah, you, you know, yeah. they're asking, and, you know, I'll drive uptown, I'll drive mm-hmm. downtown, give me this area, give me this area, I'll drive some of that, I don't da, 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 da. I don't care. Um, he he I mean, has no connections with his fellow humans to the point where he doesn't understand that not everybody wants to hang out in a CD, a CD porno movie. On a first yeah, day. Zach, right. is that the first thing um, you did with your fiance was uh, take her to go see a, a porno? Uh, un- it was on the list, but unfortunately, uh, we don't have. I don't, those I don't think case. there are porno theaters yeah. anymore. Yeah. I remember when Certainly I lived in not Atlanta. In Western Kansas. <laughs> I remember what. Well. In the lion's den, didn't they have little video booths? I don't know. I have no idea. Um, so when I was in Atlanta in the early 90s, right in the heart of Buckhead, uh, which is kind of the p- party bar kind of area, there was still mm-hmm. an adult theater there until probably until probably about 98, it went out of business, and it was out of business for a year. Because and of the internet. I it may have been, but you know, internet oh, yeah, speeds were pretty, yeah. pretty slow, pretty but, um, and then a year later it turned into a nightclub. Hmm. They gutted it and <laughs> burned the insides, <laughs> scrubbed it down with bleach uh, and then turned it into a nightclub. But yeah, I mean, you'd see yeah. businessmen go in every day at lunchtime, come out afterwards. So I'm sure they're still around. And, and what you're seeing here is real interesting too, because you're seeing a Times square before. Uh, that doesn't exist. Mayor anymore, Ed yeah. walked in yeah. and cleaned up the place, which I find fascinating. 42nd street. Yeah. I love the presence of New York and the backgrounds and the people and the, the storefronts, and the streets in this movie. This is, this is one of those movies where you really have a, an incredibly strong sense of place. Even before Travis starts telling you how much he hates the stink and the garbage and the slime you, I mean, those first scenes you can yeah. see, oh my God, this is just oppressive and, you know, and you scary hear, and overwhelming and full of weird stuff. You, you read The Watchmen, right? Mm-hmm. And and you read Rorschach's yeah. character. And Rorschach is got to be a Travis Bickle, you know, clone or something. Oh, there's definitely an influence. Yeah. Because his take He's on the city. For sure. Oh yeah. His take on the city is just the city is garbage. Yeah, it stinks. Thing. You know, some flood of biblical proportions needs to come in and wipe out this place. Mm-hmm. And, um, yeah. and, and, and Travis is the same way. And interestingly, I guess during the production, the filming of taxi driver, uh, there was a garbage strike. Mm-hmm. And so the streets really were uh-huh. gross and disgusting and, and really yeah. smelly in the summertime. This- Seven. And in the seventies, you know, they had they had those moments where I swear to you, half the time when you see the the pimps and the prostitutes and mm-hmm. the weirdos in the background, mm-hmm. I, I'm not entirely sure those are paid extras. I think that's that's De Niro <laughs> driving down what what I, I hope isn't, but probably is just a street. 
because you see these characters in the background who just kind of have this terrifying life of their own yeah with the uh, the platform shoes and everything it's creepy rodrigo what'd you think of this depiction of uh travis and new york of, of the time period um i think the uh, all right i i think if you if i was gonna write a list of the characters that i thought that that i like the most uh in this movie it would probably be uh number one new york Number two, Sybil Shepard's character. Mm-hmm. Number three, that saxophone that keeps following Robert De Niro around. <laughs> I'd probably way, probably way at the bottom of the list, uh, the the actual main character, which might not have been unintentional on the part of the filmmakers. Yeah, so do, do, um, you, do you think that was intentional to make him the least likable character in the piece? I don't know. I don't know. And it to, to a certain degree... It it kind of I, I guess it doesn't necessarily worry me because this film's been out for decades, but um, it's like to to some people, like to me, as I was watching this, I was like, okay, well, as I was watching this movie, when you're talking about this character, I was like, why am I seeing a movie from the point of view of the poorly written antagonist of a Hollywood detective movie? Mm-hmm. Right? It's like. The movie starts when a politician gets killed. The actual protagonist finds out it was Robert De Niro's character, messed up Vietnam War veteran with shell shock who thought he was living some kind of weird delusion, right? Without too much uh, else floating around the character. As like, so as, as I was watching this, I was like, I would almost rather see this movie from anybody else's point of view than, than this character. Um, I think for a lot of other people, they see this character and they say, that guy is awesome. All of these individual things that this guy is doing are awesome. Like the gun buying and the shooting and the getting into a shootout in a brothel kind of or just like a seedy hotel where this stuff goes on. And he kind of saves a prostitute. So, yay. Um, there's a lot of this stuff going on that um, kind of I in an isolated uh, as an isolated thing might be cool might be interesting but when you put it all together it kind of makes this picture of this character who is um just very sad and not someone that i would relate to in any way oh i i totally agree with you on that because it's kind of by the end of the discussion we had with 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 raging bull Mm -hmm. when Mm -hmm. we got into raging bull and yeah that came later but it's the same kind of group here they weren't afraid to show a main character. No, granted, in that case, a real person, but they weren't afraid to have the main character be so flawed that he wasn't necessarily a traditional protagonist. He was a character. These things he did, these things happened to him. This was his reality. And I kind of felt like here, I didn't associate myself or even really empathize with Travis Bickle, but he was kind of fascinating nonetheless in the same way, you know, you stare at a bug where you have that, that moment of this is a terrible person, but what's he, what's he really doing? He's trying desperately to connect to somebody. He lives in his shabby little room and he rides around 12 hours a night in a car with strangers for an hour at a time. And then he falls in love with the most beautiful woman in the world circa 1976 
and that goes badly because he's so bad at it. And then he finds this little girl that he wants to save, and that goes badly because he's so bad at it. And Harvey Keitel is there for some reason, and that goes really badly. And it, it, it just comes to a point where I don't like him. I don't want to like him. I don't feel like he's my, my hero. But as a point of view character, God, it's fascinating. Well, and I think it's, it's fascinating because you are kind of inside the mind of a killer tonight sure. on PBS. Um, but it's also, I think, fascinating because you're seeing these signs of what is tearing this character down. What are all the things that he's just either mentally unable to do? And he doesn't seem like a stupid person. Um, he, he seems very intelligent, especially with the ability to build the, uh, the sleeve gun that pops out. Um, that kind of took me out of the story a little bit. Cause I'm like, wait a minute, he's not smart enough to do that. And then I had to rethink that. Yeah, he actually is a lot smarter, but his upbringing, you know, there's something in his past that we don't know about. And I don't think it's all Vietnam. I think religion pl- pays a big role in his upbringing. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think the war and being told what to do. And as you said, Matthew, just simply not being able to connect with people again and again and again, just finally boils to a head and when he gets to the point where he is just like you know what i am an utter failure and he goes off to do this stuff with iris and basically tells her hey by the time you get this money i'm gonna be dead and of course he wants to go and kill a presidential candidate which he can't even get that right uh and i think he goes into the into the brothel with the expectation that no matter what, he's going to die at the end. Well, he, he even tries to, to kill, he, to kill he, yeah, he tries to kill himself and even out of bullets. He can't even do suicide. Right. And then in a weird, ironic right. twist of fate, he becomes a hero. Yeah. Which, sort of. uh, I, it plays into the, uh, kind of darkness that, you talked about how the city was horrible. Mm-hmm. I mean, he they said he was a hero, yeah. but really mm-hmm. all he did was go in cold blood murder a bunch of people. Well, but he took right. on the mafia. But and, he murdered and, yeah. bad people. Murder bad people. Murdered, that makes him the hero. Let's take this. more let, of an anti-hero. Well, but let's take this from, from Rodrigo's standpoint of... <laughs> You know, the protagonist comes on board, finds out there's this murder plot, and he go, has to go hunt down the antagonist. Maybe this is the story of, here's a vigilante a la Charles Bronson, who's going around taking the law into his own hands. We see Travis Bickle as a hero. Let's say we pick up this story as him as the hero, and everybody's lauding him for, you know, taking on the bad guy and mm-hmm. doing stuff the city won't do. And then we find out that the only reason he's considered... A hero is because he's such a screw up at everything else. And he's really a psychotic person. You know, that makes the story radically different. If you look at it from that point. Um, I think it does, but um, I I think as it, as, as the story unfolds in the order that the story unfolds, it it was very surprising to me that um, the, that the movie didn't end with him putting a finger to his head and pretending mm-hmm. like he's pulling a trigger. Absolutely. Um, and that we turn around and like later on he becomes this this heroic figure because it's like the movie didn't do enough to tell us that this was ironic. Right. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like yeah. 
as as I was watching this movie, I was like, am I supposed to like this character? Yeah. And it never really the movie never really makes up his mind. So like if the movie was like, here's this terrible person, and in the end he accidentally becomes a hero because of his craziness, that would be one thing. If it's like this guy has always secretly been a hero, he's just confused, but at the end he manages to do it, that would be another. But this movie is like everything. It's this guy is sometimes okay. He's also completely crazy. He's trying right. to save this prostitute. Also murder this politician for no mm-hmm. apparent reason. Tried to, yeah. Um, well, I mean, he's, well, just he's, like, he's just he's just. I, I mean, it's crazy. just like no, he was trying to set the woman free. I guess. I think that that was but his whole I thing think- was to set. Uh, Sybil Shepherd. Right. Yeah, her free and to let both of the females reach the full potential that he thought was possible to them because he thought they were right, succumbing right. to a lesser life than mm. what he thought was possible. Mm-hmm. Now there's the ending where he I, turns out to be I the hero love. Uh, has a little bit of yeah. uh, weird interpretation on it as well, Zach. Yeah, I was reading um, which I think puts the whole thing in a different light that I kind of like that uh, Roger Ebert proposed in his inter- uh, his review of the film that everything after Travis putting his finger to his head is his final thoughts before he died there in that room mm-hmm. and that uh, he gets to be the hero that he wanted to be and that none of that actually happened but it was all inside of his mind and he actually pro- and actually another theory was that the the scene where he's taking the guy in the taxi j- uh, ride where he ends up saying he's going to kill his wife and the guy he uh, she's with that that was also a manifestation of Travis's own mind. Oh, so the guy wasn't. That's so what the, some people think. It's never, the guy, it never in, the, the guy in the in the that. cab is Martin Scorsese. Did you know that? Oh, the no, guy that said I'm going to go up there and kill my wife. Yeah. That's Martin Scorsese. Oh, so like last week talks, we were because he talks in a very specific manner. So right. like last week we were talking about directors injecting mm-hmm. themselves into a film. Uh, last week with uh, Rebel Without a Cause, it's just this walking through the scene at the end. Mm-hmm. Here, Martin Scorsese really becomes a character in the movie that is one of the tipping points for Travis to just say, you know what? I'm yeah. going to go buy guns. I'm going to start killing people. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the the dream sequence, Matthew, does that, it all being a fantasy, does that change the perspective of the story for you if that were really the case, if it were all a dream sequence? Absolutely. And the, the reason I say that is because on my first pass through, first time I ever saw this movie, that's what I thought. That is what I thought, because you get to the point where terrible things are happening and you have that incredibly, you know, especially for 1976, incredibly graphic sequence with the shooting and the blood and the glaven and the foin laven. And then you cut to a happy ending and you have this thing of, you know, Iris gets her happy ending. And Travis is, is a hero, and he gets to tie things up at the end with Betsy in a very kind of ethereal and strange moment. Because, you know, he's standing there and somebody's like, oh, you got, you, you got a passenger in your cab. And he wanders over and gets in the cab. And then after a few seconds, she says, hi, Travis. It all feels weird and disconnected and fantasy. Mm-hmm. And I don't think that's what... I think Scorsese has said that's not what he intended. Right. But that was my thought process the first time I saw it. And today, well, rewatching it, knowing that that's not what necessarily they intended, it still feels like 
it kind of changes everything about the end of that movie. I think there's a I think there's a reason why uh, why that's a popular view is because as you're watching this, you think to yourself, "No, this guy shouldn't have a happy ending." Yeah. Like for for and I think for two reasons. One, um, and and you may subscribe to that for for one of the two reasons or both. One, he's not like he's not a good guy. It's like uh his motivation is either very unclear or very negative, right? He wants to kind of control these women and therefore he resorts to violence to do it. Even if like it is to set them free, they're not asking him to set them free. He goes Mm -hmm. and does it against their will. Right. Mm -hmm. So that's one. And the other one is like, you're watching this super gritty movie. And it's like, all of a sudden there's a happy ending. Like, like, physically gritty you see like how grimy and awful new york is and then you see all this crime and all this blood and all this violence and there's a happy ending and i think to a certain degree just because just thematically you might feel cheated like even if this guy was a good guy um you would kind of expect out of this movie for him to die a horrible death for the city to crush him and it doesn't um so it's like hilariously in our own minds, we construct this fiction in which this guy didn't get to be a hero. And and here's my problem yeah. with this, because at the very end, we start doing this crane up shot of the crime scene. Right. Mm-hmm. And typically in film, that is your indication that the story is over. Right. Right. And so yeah. the first time that I saw this movie and we get to that happy ending, I'm like, WTF. Although I think back in whenever I saw this movie in the 80s, 90s, whatever it was, I don't think WTF had been invented yet. But, you know, it's just basically gag me with a spoon. Gag me with a spoon. (laughs) Yes, there you go. Um, Oh, sir. (laughs) Because it just feels so completely out of place. And I almost feel offended. First time I saw this, very offended by how that ending was just felt tacked on like. Mm You know, if we don't do something, we're going to have an X rating on this film and we'll never be able to show it to anybody. There's a third. That's interesting because, uh, you know, and there's a third reason to kind of reject that ending and think of it as a fantasy. And and that is uh, a filmmaker reason. So not just a, a character and theme reason, but a filmmaker reason in that. All of the visual cues of photography, of, of filmmaking, tell you that the story is over. Right. Yeah. Giant crane shot, completely like all sound suppressed except for the score, slow moving shot from above. Mm-hmm. Like everything tells you this movie is over and then it keeps going. It, it Weirdly, it's a violation of the language of film. So in a sense, with yeah. Travis Bickle being a very, a, a person who just violates society and societal norms, mm-hmm. here Scorsese is violating the viewer with breaking of convention. And I don't know, th- that ending just feel tacked on. Like, again, it was a response to, and this movie did almost get a higher than an R rating, which in the 1970s would have been an X rating. Um, just because Next of the, just because of the, the last, violence, like 10 minutes. Well, um, yes, among other things, but yes, yeah. literally no, the, the last 30 minutes of the film, the, the violence of that, of that, uh, gunfight 
was just unheard of and outside of yeah outside of a sam peckinpah movie in 1976 that didn't happen yeah when was dog day but i think that aside dog day afternoon was 74 i want to say but you can go back to the wild bunch in 69 and you can see some serious yeah but i think when you really look at it what it breaks down to for me i don't think i don't want to say tacked on because there is a very very important character bit at the very end of that stuff if you take it as actually happening and Travis recovering and all of the things and you get to the end when he's driving away, he's dropped off Betsy. He's sitting there in his car. He's driving. He's kind of got his closure. And then there's that scare cord. He kind of glances something out of the corner of his eye and then he comes back and there's that moment of he's still dangerous. He's still ready to explode. Something is going, you know, something will eventually set this man off again. Yeah. And I think that's the, I and, think that was the the main and, interpretation that Scorsese and uh, the writer uh, of the movie, um, by, by Paul Schrader, both intended was that, yeah, yeah, everything turned out OK this time, but, but uh, he's still mm-hmm. charged up and he's yeah, still that, going to kill again. That little bit right at the very end before yeah. I started, started rolling just because I had kind of checked out. I was like, OK, the. This weird ending is is over. Drop the girl off. He's driving away. Blah 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 blue. And it's like rant. You're like whoa. Yeah. And then I, I had to like rewind it and watch it again. <laughs> so again, undermining your expectations with that with that ending, mm-hmm. and then undermining it again with the that moment. I think if you take it as a whole, you can see as it does kind of fit with this movie not having a conventional movie narrative and having that weird off-putting central theme and central character. I mean, you get to the end and it ends in a way that leaves us frustrated and angry. And that kind of makes sense because that, that makes us feel like Travis Bickle throughout the whole film. If, yeah. if you go, so and, it may be, it may be brilliance. If you go and look at a lot of the movies that are coming out in the early seventies, um, you know, you look at dog day mm-hmm. afternoon, you look at uh, the wild bunch, which was really late sixties. Um, but you look right. at movies like Taxi Driver, you look at movies uh, in this vein, and they are very depressing movies. Uh, we talk on another one of our podcasts, the Major Spoilers podcast, how in the 80s, Frank Miller's Dark Knight turned comic books into very dark and gritty and turned all the characters into dark, gritty dark characters. Gritty. Vietnam is an event that changed America and really is reflected in the movies of this time period. And so you look at oh hell when was Deliverance when did that did, did that come out um, Deliverance came out in seventy two um, you know you look at all these movies and Midnight they are Cowboy in sixty nine mm-hmm, they are a reflection of this I don't want to say dystopian viewpoint of the future but everyone's frustration and disappointment of everything that's going on with Vietnam and the country and the gas crisis and all these world events that are just doom and gloom even before um you know the 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 cold war hit its peak in the 80s and what's Jimmy Carter's creeping malaise yes um you know when nixon is is a, is about ready to resign you know at this time you got watergate mm-hmm. going on just nothing interest i mean i shouldn't say nothing interesting nothing positive appears to be going on and you and you see that in these movies this is really interesting because you hit Star Wars and Close Encounters of the Third Kind, which are just literally a year away. And that, and I point to movies like Taxi Driver, 
uh, Deliverance, Midnight Cowboy, uh, MASH, even though that's satirical. Um, but as this way of lifting people Still, out of their you know, the, the theme, the, the theme song from MASH is, is mm-hmm. called Suicide is Painless. Mm-hmm. Right. And so Star Wars, I think, was successful because it was totally different from every other film that was being made at this time. Because it was true escapism. This was more of a mm-hmm. let's hold a mirror up to what we're doing to war vets. What are we doing yeah. to society? You know, what's going on? And, um, and, I, and I think that's why Star Wars has become so popular at this time. Because nobody was expecting it at the time. Nobody was expecting well, the extreme. And it was that. Go ahead. Oh, it was that. It's that mark of that next generation, right? So mm-hmm. um, Lucas and Spielberg are younger filmmakers who are kind of going into that big spectacle movie instead of showing that uh, they're not they're not turning a mirror on the human condition. They are almost pretty much one hundred percent entertainers. Like right. they are creating this movie. For you to look at and be excited about and happy and sad and and crazy times as opposed to um, turning a, a microscope onto New York City. Mm. So you like this story, Zach, from the story perspective? I mean, we've got a few technical things to talk about. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I actually did like the story. Okay. Um, I thought it was compelling and uh, I mean, for more reasons and the technical side that we can get into why, why I thought the story was good. Uh, but before we get into technical stuff, let's give some shout out to our associate producers. They are Bao King, Nicole Gross, Justin Norris, Fabian Kune, David Marbell, Nathan Olson, Sim Lee Chuan, Aaron <laughs> Matner, Sean Ingard, Seamus Dor, Joseph Smith, Adrian Watson, Alistar Shields, Cara Mosier, ooh, Brian Nelson. Thank you one and all for supporting Zach on Film and all the other great Major Spoilers podcasts. And this is where we break in with our little, for only 25 cents a day, yes. you can help young Zach learn to read. Names. Exactly. <laughs> That's, pretty, that sounds learn, pretty good. Learn to pronounce Seamus. Seamus. Seamus, and, uh, Seamus, is, Seamus is a tough one. Yeah. That's a okay. Yeah. So this movie However, was. Oh. Sim, he oh, got Bo. Sim Lee Chuan dead down. So go. I'm happy with that. Bam. So this movie was so violent. And now Sim Lee Chuan is going to tell us we pronounced it wrong. No this drama. movie was so violent. It really was borderline. We're going to give you an X rating on this. And what we see happening is they actually went in and desaturated that last part of the, the movie where the blood and violence take place to tone down the um, bright yeah. red look of the blood that was splattering on all the walls and the people and everything in there. And I think, you know, Scorsese goes in and says later, he goes, you know, I'm really glad we had to desaturate it because I think it made it look more gritty mm-hmm. and more realistic and I yeah. think if you watch, um, I don't know, I've been playing Dead Rising uh, on Xbox One, whatever it is, version four, uh, the fourth version of that. And the blood and the violence is all dark. I mean, dark red blood running everywhere. Granted, everybody's dead, so maybe it is sure, supposed sure. to be that way. But um, from an aesthetic standpoint, if that had been bright, you know, cherry red blood that you see in other movies, I don't think that scene would not have been as intense as it was. Even though, I mean... Yeah, the exploding hand sequence yes. mm-hmm. could have turned very, very, you know, over the top. It could have been very, very Muppets take Manhattan. And I think one of the things that helped to sell it was the fact that the blood was not 
incredibly red. And it was kind of a gross moment when you couldn't tell if it was blood or skin or whatever that hit Travis. Mm-hmm. It, it really sold that moment and kept it from being something that was almost, it, it could have been goofy seeing someone's entire hand explode from a 44 Magnum round. What were, what were you going to say, Rodrigo? Uh, what was I going to say? Something about blood. And I think that, uh, it, yeah, it's, it's, it's interesting. Um, how things like that sometimes end up working for the movie, right? They desaturate the scene. And I remember thinking, seeing the blood and thinking, wow, this actually probably looks like actual blood. Mm-hmm. That's, that's, that's interesting. Maybe back in the seventies, it's like when, when you see a lot of the time when you see like, old movies from the 60s and 70s and they fire a gun it sounds like a pop cap you know it sounds like pew, pew, pew. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. it's like but that's a little bit closer to what actual guns sound like like these you know actual guns supposedly you know they always tell you is they sound like firecrackers yep. you know from if you're not like right up next to it being shot um so it doesn't have like you can't always hear that like huge timbre that they add to 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 the to the gun yeah so um you know, same deal with this blood. I was like, oh, that's that's interesting. And it's interesting to hear that they desaturated it because they thought it was too violent and thus made it more realistic. I mean, I, we've heard of uh, times when they're like, oh, no, take out the scene or take out like somebody actually getting hurt or whatever. But it ends up being more terrifying because then it leaves it up to your imagination. Yeah. Right. Um, so it's, it's interesting to see moments in which censorship actually ends up working for the movie. And I think that yeah. scene was definitely one of them. That scene is definitely more effective because of that choice. What do you think of the choice of uh, Harvey Keitel as the pimp? <laughs> Man, that is a surprise. Yeah, if you don't clearly, know Harvey, if you don't know Harvey Keitel's in the movie, you're going to go, "Holy crap, that's Harvey Keitel!" Yeah. 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 Clearly, um, Scorsese didn't realize that Harvey Keitel has always been a weird 50-year-old man. <laughs> That's when, exactly he, what I was thinking when during he, this. When he cast him as a, like an 18-year-old pimp, like something must have happened. He must have been like bribed or something that he didn't realize that he was casting somebody who was secretly always a 50-year-old weird guy. <laughs> well, and the just, thing that's really fascinating about this is Harvey Keitel was not quite 40 when this movie was filmed. But if you if you look at the sequences, especially his his long thing where he's talking to Iris and telling her how wonderful she is, every character choice he makes is designed to make my skin crawl. From from mm-hmm. his hairstyle to the way he talks to just the way he looks at everyone you 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 want you want Travis Bickle to shoot this man. Yeah. You want him to shoot him more than he does. Yeah, it was kind of a surprise when he does pull that gun out and shoots him oh, in the gut. Oh man, yeah. 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 This movie has a lot of really, I mean, yeah. great actors. I mean, you got Albert Brooks, Sybil Shepherd. Which that was weird seeing him in there because yeah, he's normally no, I'd never comedian. seen him like that before. Yeah, yeah. Uh Peter Boyle, who I just With love. Big, oh, he's big amazing. Hair. Yeah, uh, yeah. Frankenstein's creation. Yes. <laughs> and the father on most people, I think, would know him from Raymond the father on Raymond. Everybody Loves Raymond. Everybody loves. Of course, you got Robert De Niro, and then you've got Jodie Foster, thirteen years old when they did this movie with her. And yeah. in this final scene where everything just goes to hell, people were concerned that oh my god, this trauma that you're putting this child through, and 
Jodie Foster really thought it was kind of neat because she got to see all this behind the scenes stuff and they walked her through it and showed her how the squibs worked and all those kinds of things. Wasn't, uh, wasn't really very traumatic for her. She thought it was a lot of fun. And I think she did a good job as, as a, you know, playing an age, you know, 12 year old prostitute. Yeah. I, I think one of the best moments for me, for her character was when she's in the diner with Travis and she's wearing those crazy yeah, green yeah, grass, sunglasses mm-hmm. and then she takes them off yeah. and puts on a completely different pair of glasses. Like that <laughs> is what preteen girls do oh. all the time. Yeah. There are there are amazing there are amazing character moments, none of which involve the main character. The discussion <laughs> between uh, Sybil Shepherd's character and that guy that's that's helping her with the campaign. Those it's amazing. Like I wanted to just see that movie. Yeah, mm. you know, I wanted to see the movie where it's just like, look outside. I don't see anything. Put your glasses on. Okay, all right. <laughs> it's like yeah, yeah. again. Yes. Oh yeah, Albert I see him now. Awesome. Like yeah. it's just like so dry. Albert like, Brooks is yeah. Amazing. It's just really amazing. I've seen and, this movie. And the three same thing times. with uh, the same thing with Jodie Foster's character. Like anytime she's on screen, there's something about her that's like really uh, like electric. Oh my god, yes. And can we talk about how incredibly beautiful Civil Shepherd is in this movie? Oh man, oh, she man. is yes. great. I mean, Holy she crap. is. My God, it's it's like you you see the moment, and the first we see her. Travis is is railing on and on about how she's so perfect and angelic and beautiful. And for one of the first times in movie watching, a character telling me that a character was incredibly gorgeous sold it with Sybil Shepherd walking into screen and they had a little bit of the slow-mo. She was wearing the white dress and none of them could touch her. And I'm like, oh my God. I died every time she looked at the camera when she was mm-hmm. doing the reaction shots. I was just like, I can't believe that's the same actress that I watched on that sitcom in the nineties. Yeah, because I'm, holy uh, crap. I, I'm, I'm disappointed. We didn't get to see more of her character and her interactions mm-hmm. in that. Um, but yeah, just yeah. a fantastic job. Now there is a dark side to this movie beyond the dark themes and everything. Um, and that is the uh, mm-hmm. assassination attempt of, of Ronald Reagan in the eighties in 81 when he was uh, attacked. Yep. Um, yeah. John Hinckley jr became obsessed with Jodie Foster in this role and obsessed with the mm-hmm. idea of taxi driver uh, and everything that was going in it. And he claims the defense claims, whatever that it was the movie that caused him to go and try to assassinate the president. Just like uh, in the movie, uh, Travis goes and tries to mm-hmm. assassinate uh, George Wallace, you know, um, presidential, candidate. Yeah, presidential candidate. So I think that's kind of really crazy. I think that was the first time I'd ever heard of Taxi Driver was when suddenly it came mm-hmm. out about the Jodie Foster connection and Taxi Driver. I'm like, well, what's this Taxi Driver movie? I don't think I ever want to see it. And then it was in the right. middle, early 90s when I and, finally did watch it. And that and the you talking to me yeah, are yeah, the yeah. reason why the general public knows this movie. And it's it really kind of is depressing having seen it again. And, you know, this again is, I think, either my third or fourth time seeing this movie. And it was like a whole new movie to me. It's been, when were we in college? It's been probably 20 years Early since 90s. I've seen this. Yeah. But I don't remember Albert Brooks. Yeah. I don't remember some of the wonderful conversations with the wizard in the, in the uh, automat. Yeah. A lot of these things didn't stick with me. 
But when I sat down and I watched it today, I mean, this is a powerful movie. This is a movie that I am certainly not going to demean anybody's insanity, but you can kind of see why it wasn't, you know, the adventures of Ford Fairlane that sent somebody over the edge. This is a movie that affects you, even if you are, you know, fully in, in control of your capacity. Well, and I, and so let's go back to what I, Rodrigo I think it's kind of saying. a shame that people associate that. Well, and that's what I was saying. Go back to what no, Rodrigo was saying earlier. When you when you're got when you've got a movie like this or American Psycho or Natural Born Killers or gosh what's a more recent version of this where we're introduced to the to the psychotic killer um, Saw man maybe not probably not well, Saw protagonist though. but from the protagonist standpoint Saw so when, when we look at when we look at Travis Bickle I mean people with falling John down. Hinckley Jr. falling there down people with John Hinckley Jr. type problems. Travis Bickle type problems are going to identify with this mm-hmm. character and say, Oh, well that's what he would do. I'll go do that too. Um, so I mean, there are yeah, some, although. Yeah. I, the, the important thing there is the, um, that, that pre-existing thing, right? It's right. not the, the movie doesn't mm-hmm. make you. No, like no, no, this, no, 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 right. no. Um, certainly not. Now we've got big lag this week yeah, on the show, and I don't, I don't know why. I just checked my internet speed. The internet speed is fine, but we've got some real lag issues this week with the uh, stupid Skype. Stupid Skype. I think we need to install ISDN lines at everybody's house. Um, I think we've got some lag issues this week, Stephen. Really? Wow. Okay. We'll hmm. try to address those. God. <laughs> so this was named in 1994, a movie that uh, the Library of Congress considered culturally, historically, or aesthetically significant, and it has to be preserved. Although, going back to the extreme violent uh, scenes, apparently they cannot find any of the original shot footage that hasn't been desaturated. Uh, color footage? Yeah, so nobody can find that anymore. Kind of yeah, which a lot of people point to as a shame. So, Zach, what kind of things did you learn from the movie? And you and I had a conversation on whether the fiancé was watching it. I'd, I'd be interested to see if she actually did or not. Uh, I'll answer that right now, and that's no. I, I said, hey, I have to watch this tonight. You want to watch it with me? And she said, well, I said, I have to watch the movie tonight. What do you want to watch? What are you, she asked, what are you watching? I said, Taxi Driver. She said, uh, she Googled it. She said, that looks old and boring. <laughs> well, at least you didn't. What was the one with Queen Tell Latifah? Her you're old and boring. What, what's the what's the taxi movie with uh, yeah, Queen Latifah? She, Is it just called Taxi? Taxi. So, yeah, something like that. Yes. Yeah. Just tell her that you it's can make it up to her by watching though. Frozen, which is now available on iTunes. Oh, she loves Frozen. See, you can make it up to her. You watch my sure. movie, and then we'll watch your movie. Yeah. No, it's already passed. That's how it works. Yeah. Okay, so um, takeaways. So what I learned, I, um, I really dug a lot of the early se- uh, sequences when Travis is driving around town, and the way they show the monotony of his job through... There's that just that one quick section where they showed this the same um, uh, stoplight. Yeah, yeah. They they show it like once, twice, and just keep speeding yeah. up, and speeding up, showing him how just it just goes on and on forever, and how there. I know there's a time length in this movie. There's a significant time chunk, I think. Sure. And it's not. I mean, he says it in his journal diaries. Um, what date it is? I didn't pay attention close enough, but I realized that. The way that they structure, what they show his day on how long and just boring, and he just does the same thing over and over and over again, 
that they didn't need to show it a lot that we it's just implied through the editing and the cinematography that this is what he does every day there's nothing really different and it just goes on from this point from this month to uh, this next month when something significant happens and so that was uh, a nice way of showing passage of time besides just showing that kind of old way of the pages on the calendar falling away or the clock going really fast I think his hairstyle, because it changed enough in the time, also gave you that yeah. indication. Yeah, it did a little uh, bit too. Pretty well, so. Especially when he, like, buzzed it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that was a hairpiece, actually. Oh, was Although it? if he would have really done it, it would have been really impressive. It wouldn't have, uh, well, thinking about it, because what he did for Raging Bull mm-hmm. to put on too much weight and lose all the weight, and you think he, yeah, well, I saw he, he bulked up on in this movie, so it wouldn't have surprised me if he wouldn't have Yeah, I would have thought so. Off. I would have thought so, too, but I was uh, doing some research and I came across these images of all the hair pieces from the film. So I just assume that it's, it's hair piece. So cool, cool. Matthew, I'm going to give it to you this week uh, to close out and give us uh, right. your assessment of Zach's Yay. assessment. And uh, then we'll get out of here. I believe that Zach actually did pretty well this week. I think that the, the, the main themes of this are off putting and disturbing enough that it would be easy to, to disconnect a soft pedal to, you know, back away from it. And it really felt like Zach was, was totally into it. Plus he agrees with me that Sybil Shepherd is <laughs> hotter than donut grease. So I'm going to give him a B plus this time around. Definitely some, some solid work. I would say one thing I would like in, you know, the next time we have a movie from the seventies, we need to talk about music in the seventies. <laughs> Because, dang. Well, you're in luck, Matthew, because next yes. week, well, next week well we will be taking a look at uh, 1974's The Conversation, which if you haven't seen that, Ooh. oh my goodness, that is a great movie. Is it musical? Uh, there is music I've in it. I've never seen that. It's got Gene Hackman in it uh, oh, as well. Cool. Uh, I guess one thing I would add on, it's also got Cindy Williams in it uh, as a, uh, in a part, Terry Garr, Harrison Ford, all these people play in this movie. Um, cool. One thing I would say, Zach, I think, I think, don't just watch the movies that we've been talking about on the show once. I think you need to revisit them multiple times before we talk yeah. about, no, 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 not before we talk about them, but oh, now you've got a perspective. Now go back and watch sure. it again in two years or three years or whatever it is and see if you've got a better perspective on it. I think the last time I watched the conversation was about a year and a half ago. I'm ready to watch it again mm-hmm. just to get a different perspective, mm-hmm. which is, which is good. Cause we have to. Yeah. 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 For next uh, week, Zach so on film. that is it for this week on Zach on Film. Make sure to head over to Majorspoilers.com. I think there's some the delay this week. Podcast posting page where you can give your thoughts on Taxi Driver and everything that happened in this episode. Uh, while you're on Majorspoilers.com, make sure to click on the Amazon.com link where you can go buy your very own copy of Taxi Driver or you know, like a TV or a Blu-ray player or a cool Apple TV. And it, none of that will cost you any extra but a little bit will come back to Major Spoilers to keep our ship afloat. So next week, we're going to be talking The Conversation for Zach on Films.